Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, always great to talk college football with Matt Baker. And Matt, last week you had an opportunity to go to Gainesville and watch what I think was one of the better college football games I've seen in a while, of course, Alabama at Florida. Um, and let's start with just the atmosphere because, you know, I was watching from TV. The Swamp was rocking. It's been a while since there's been a game, and you did the list of, of, of big games um, there in Gainesville. But what was that like? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Rick. Um, it was definitely the best environment I've seen at the Swamp. Um, it's you know, I, I've been in this role since 2015. I covered my first college football game in 2007. It's definitely, it might not be number one in terms of regular season games, but it's in the top three. I mean, the, mm. the only ones that come to mind as being comparable, um, Florida State played Oklahoma in, I think it was 2011. That was kind of FSU is like, we're back, maybe not quite back-back game. Um mm-hmm. And then uh, Miami hosted Notre Dame in 2017 and won 41 to eight, and the turnover chain was rocking, and that was the best Miami team they've had in a while. And, and you know, those are probably, and then Saturday are probably the top three environments I've been in. It was just out of this world, loud and, and crazy, and everything we love about college football: the the, <laughs> the spectacle, the pageantry, the uh, insanity, the the. Uh, mistakes that end up costing games, all that stuff into in 60 glorious minutes. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was a great game. And and, and for all the world, Matt, I, I thought that, you know, Alabama was, they, they surged to a bit of a lead and the, the game was really sort of in the balance there where Florida could have fallen out of it. Man, I credit those guys, uh, particularly on offense. They ran the football. They had long drives. They, they, um, they got back in this game. And of course, you know, you can't really say this, right? It, not for a missed, extra point that that was the margin of the game but Alabama would have had the ball back with three minutes who knows what they do um and and yet um look I think I I still don't I'm not completely sure you know Alabama has a young quarterback I'm I think they're going to be better at the end of the year maybe maybe it's not Saban's best team but at the end of the day there's no reason to to not think that Florida um can can win the SEC and you'd love to see this game again wouldn't you (laughs) <laughs> absolutely i would that was fantastic give me that in, in atlanta and in, in, in yeah a, in a couple months absolutely um yeah I, I entered gainesville thinking florida was in that good to very good but not great tier and i left right. thinking yeah these guys can win the east for sure mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. We'll, we'll we'll pause there i mean who knows what would happen against Bama again but right. at the very least i think florida can beat georgia and mm-hmm. that's I didn't necessarily think that going in. Um, There's still some, some issues Florida has, particularly in the secondary, you know, as I kind of went through them, my head, what was the difference between Florida and Alabama? Um, Um, You know, there, there's a handful of of plays like there are in every game, you know, you can point to the missed extra point. Um, Yeah. That's one having, you know, botching the two point conversion where one guy lines up wrong and another guy goes the wrong way. I mean, 
we should at some point florida needs to figure out some miscommunications they've had because there was that there was one on on uh I think it was fourth down against Florida Atlantic in the red zone. That was costly. You know, they ran the wrong play. So there's, there's some issues there that need to be cleaned up. If Florida's going to get what it needs to be. But, but I kind of went through top to bottom. Where does Florida match up? I, I go back to the, the defensive backs to the secondary. That's that, that was the difference on Saturday. If I had to point to one thing um, that showed mm-hmm. up in a couple different ways. One was the missed tackles, you know, a handful of missed tackles early on uh, that, that led to touchdowns or, or big conversions. One guy makes a tackle on third down, you know, who knows what happens. And the other thing was was the defensive pass interferences. Now, some of those are bing-bing calls. Some of them are kind of questionable. Okay, whatever. But by my count right after the game, the Gators had four defensive pass interference penalties on four different drives. Hmm. Rick, do you know what happened on every single – and by, by the way, one was third and seven, one was third and 12, the other was also third and seven. Ouch. Do you know what happened on all four of those drives, Rick? What, what do you think I'm happened? guessing they might have scored. Uh, Alabama scored in all of them. Three touchdowns and a field mm, goal. Mm. There you go. If, yeah. if we want to you know, pinpoint one thing, it's that. And, and it's not like the Gators' secondary has been perfect all year. They had issues with penalties against FAU. They gave up some plays or had the potential to give up plays if USF had been done a, a little bit here and there. there. There were plays to be made by USF is what is what I'm saying. So if I'm pointing to one thing that scares me if I'm the Gators, it's that secondary. But if they can get short and get that fixed, they can get that short up and, and scheme it up, different players, whatever it is, better execution. That's a team that absolutely can beat Georgia. And that is a team that I think would be able to give Alabama or I guess A&M, maybe Ole Miss, whoever it is out of the West, a run for their money in Atlanta. Yeah, I would agree with you on defense. I, I think the most impressive thing that I saw, and we can get into the quarterbacks here in a second, was was how dominant Florida's offensive line was. Yep. Uh, they ran the ball. I've never seen a team run the ball on Alabama like that. Now, maybe I don't think it has as much to say about Alabama. Perhaps I I don't know. You know the youth and and and. But all I know is you know they've got you know thirty five star recruits over there on that side. Um, they they came off the line of scrimmage and pushed those guys backwards. And and I thought the running backs did a good job. That's a nice place to start. Um, you know, right up front, if you're gonna if you're gonna try to 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 win big games, I, I I that that was my takeaway at least offensively from from the Gators. And I think you're exactly right. And go back to the matchup last December, fifty two forty six in Atlanta, and the, the you know uh, Edgar Thompson, my, my buddy at the Orlando Sentinel, asked Dan uh, Dan Mullen, what's the difference between you guys and them right now? And he said mm-hmm. physicality on the line of scrimmage. I wrote that during the week. That was gonna this was gonna be the test. And Florida yeah. absolutely passed that test. Um, mm-hmm. They they rushed on Bama in a way that Bama has not been rushed on in quite some time. Some of yeah. that is the backs. I mean, Malik Davis had a great touchdown run. He did. Pierce mm-hmm. and and, uh, and Wright rushed well. Emory, uh, you know, didn't have like the explosive plays that Anthony Richardson has done, but he was the elusive, slippery runner that we knew he could be. And you add that all up and you get uh, you know, behind a line that played a lot better. And that's a lot of growth. And, and to me, that's a good sign for where this program is heading, where they can see, okay, this was the big issue we had last year. Yeah. How do we fix it? And they've done it. And, and, you know, what, that was just one of the questions I had about these Gators going in. Um, if you want to pinpoint some, if, if you want to kind of second guess in Monday morning quarterback, the way Mullen has built this program, one question is on the offensive line. He's not a guy who's, you know, goes out necessarily. He doesn't land a lot of the five star 
recruits mm-hmm. in general, but specifically on the offensive line. Alabama does. I think all the Alabama started were blue chip guys. Um, Florida had three three-star guys on there. But you know what? He looks to me as if he's found the right three stars and groomed them into his system and had them develop to get to the point where now they're you know blocking Bama better than anybody has in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Emory Jones played good, uh, played well. Uh, listen, it was clear he was not going to play Anthony Richardson. He was asked before the game. He says he's strictly in a backup role, hamstring, whatever, maybe 50%. All I saw was him do a backflip before the game. That maybe didn't necessarily uh-huh. help his cause as far as Mullen's, uh, Mullen's assertion that the guy wasn't healthy. But, uh, you know, Jones acquitted himself pretty well. He missed some throws. There's no doubt about that. I still think that if they're going to win the SEC, Anthony Richardson is going to be a big part of the equation. It doesn't mean that Emory Jones is not going to play. Um, health will be the biggest thing. But what's your thoughts about going forward? How much will Richardson um, figure in or factor into the Gators' future this year? Yeah, one of my kind of top-line takeaways, and I was talking with our editor, Tracy Johnson, about this during the game, uh, I think a lot of people owe Emory Jones an apology. Everybody thinks this guy's a bum, he need to play the other guy, da-da-da. Uh, and Emory went out against a really good team and played well. He acquitted mm-hmm. himself well. No, he, he did, did not. They, they did not win. Um, no, he did not play spectacularly. Um, he, he threw a pick that wasn't necessarily a bad pick. And, you know, he wasn't out of this world good, but he was good enough to win. And mm-hmm. there's something to be said for that. And he showed a lot of growth, um, finally feeling more comfortable in the role and what have you. I mean, shoot, dude got booed at home, was down 18 points against the number one team in the country, the reigning national champions, and has them within a two-point conversion of, of, of forcing overtime. That's gritty. That's, imp- that's an impressive performance. So I say that to say Emory is still going to be the starter going forward, um, certainly this week against Tennessee. I expect that to be the case for quite some time until Mullen – trust Anthony Richardson enough to know that he needs to, to make a change. But I think Florida fans and, and the, the Gators in general feel even more comfortable now knowing Emory Jones is going to be that guy after Saturday. And Anthony will still have a role. I mean, shoot, we mm-hmm. saw what he did the first two weeks. How could he not? Um, right. But assuming he's healthy, uh, again, starting Saturday against Tennessee, what we'll see him probably doing what he's been doing um, and, and trying to get some explosive plays while Emory does kind of the the, the lion's share of the work, the um, unspectacular plays that need to be done in a 60-minute game. Yeah. Tell me why, uh, and you'll be at uh, Florida again this week for Tennessee, tell me why I should care about the Tennessee Vols and Florida Gators when they get together. <laughs> um, uh, this is one of the hardest questions yet. Why should you care? Um, <laughs> Other than I like watching the Gators, but, I mean, you know, you, the Vols just haven't been relevant. Are they headed towards any relevancy at all? Well, it's 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 not going to be a thousand degrees. It's supposed to you know start feeling a tiny bit of autumn. It's going to be a beautiful day. There's <laughs> yeah. only twelve college, real twelve college football Saturdays in, in a season for, for sure. the Gators. Sure. Um, what else are you going to do? Mow the lawn. Um, so Tennessee, I think Tennessee is stuck in a rut. Um, and I don't know about Josh Heupel yet. I, I really don't. I was not overly impressed with him when he got hired by UCF. No, neither um, was I. Yeah. His first year proved me wrong, but then the last two in the way they regressed made me think maybe I was my first impression, my first thought was right. Um, UCF fans were not sad, you know, at least the ones I know were not sad to see him go because there were diminishing returns with the Knights. Maybe he's the guy to lead him back. I don't know. Um, I, I think right now the Vols are just stuck in 
this rut um, where, I mean, I I wrote about this on TampaBay.com and we'll spin that in in another way in a second. But since since Phil Fulmer has gone, they're on their fifth full-time head coach since the start Mm. of the 2009 season. That's a lot. And when you have that much turnover, it makes it that much harder to get out of. You know, um, I'll go down a little boring rabbit hole here, but but bear with me. One of the worst things that can happen to a roster is a transition class where you go from one coach to the next, especially right now with the early signing period. You know, Mike Norvell gets hired, has like two and a half weeks to to put together the, the start of this recruiting class. That That's tough. You don't have time to evaluate guys. You don't have time to make sure that the guy who was committed is the right fit for you. You're going to miss on stuff. And then you're going to have attrition from the previous classes. You, you kind of, and that just makes it where the roster becomes weaker. You know, the, the, for your first set of guys are not going to be as good. And you're weaker because the, the previous guys don't fit what you do. And I say all that to say what Tennessee's had is transition class after transition class after transition class. So many strung together. And that gets at a point where it's hard to dig out of. You have coaching turnover leads to roster turnover, which leads to more losses, which leads to more coaching turnover, more roster turnover, and on and on we go. That's how the fifth winningest team in the 1990s, Tennessee, has eight losing seasons in 13 years. Mm. Um, Are they going to get better? Oh, maybe. But, you know, just to kind of switch gears here, as I look at things um, through through my lens, I I wonder if Florida State is heading that direction. Hmm. We'll get to them in a moment. In fact, right now, but I just wanted to say with respect to the uh, Tennessee that was, coaches. That was a segue I'm, there is what I was trying to do. Uh, I, I got you. I'm going I'm <laughs> to use it, but, I, but I'm going to get this in because it's been on my mind. With respect to Tennessee head football coaches, I'm sure they long for the days of Lane Kiffin. Okay. But I wish they'd have kept Butch, Butch Jones because he's absolutely destroying my Arkansas State Red Wolves program. Good Lord. What a bad hire that was. Anyway, I got that off my chest. So Florida State, Florida State, no one else cares about Arkansas State but me. Well, Florida State is going to become the Tennessee Vols or might be approaching that now. Boy, oh boy, that is a sobering thought, but one I can't disagree with. So I'm watching this game. They're at Wake Forest. First of all, they're such a bad brand at this point that not even the Wake Forest fans showed up for that game. I, I couldn't believe it. It's like, you know, normally you beat Florida State from Wake Forest, you're swarming the field, but there just wasn't enough people to do it with. Um, I mean, are, are boosters <laughs> trying to check the couches for money to see if they can buy out Mike Norvell yet? There are a lot of unhappy people. Um, I, I don't think it's gotten to, to that stage yet. Um, cause again, if, if Florida, I think we've talked about this last week, Florida state doesn't have a ton of money, right? Right. Um, right. Some, some more on, on the show wrote a couple of years ago that Willie Taggart probably wasn't going to be on the hot seat because FSU didn't have the money. Um, I don't know what that moron's doing now. Um, but so they didn't have money before or a ton of money before they fired Willie Tucker. Right. They still owe him three and a half million dollars for the for, you know, this, that's the annual amount. But they owe him that through the th- three and a half million a year through the 2023 season. Hmm. If my math is correct, Mike Norvell would be owed 16 million dollars at if they fired him after this year. Just oh why if, if they did. So they didn't have money before firing Willie. Then they fire Willie, and that's a lot of money. Then the pandemic hits. 
and they had to do layoffs and furloughs and pay cuts and all this stuff. And then yeah. you add in the idea of, you know, again, roughly $16 million to buy out the next coach. And then you're going to have to spend, what, four to five to hire a new coach in addition to whatever yeah. the assistants are, whatever it takes to actually get that coach out of his current contract. Mm. It's it's very hard to see that happening. Um, unless there's some big-time booster who's got a lot of money to spend, in which case I hope he didn't uh, consider donating to the Tampa Bay Times Investigative uh, Journalism Fund. Um so I just don't see it. I just don't see it happening. I think the most likely scenario here is FSU says we got to stick with them. Uh, you know, I think publicly at some point they start talking about, look, 2020, he, he gets a mulligan for that. It was weird. He was behind the eight ball to begin with. It's We have to be patient. And then next year becomes absolutely pivotal. But they just need to show progress. Um, at Florida State should not lose at home to Jacksonville State ever, period. That's unacceptable. Right. Florida State unless this is the greatest Wake Forest team ever, and I don't think it is by any <laughs> means, they should not be losing three touchdowns to Wake Forest. That should not happen. And, and, and when I went and, and, and watched that game, what, what jumped out to me was the, look, look, the, the state of Florida, we are good at producing three things with football. We're, we're, we're producing running backs, defensive backs, and wide receivers, by and large. We got speed. Yeah. That's what Florida has. Um, Florida State over the years has had lots of really good players at those positions. Dion and Dalvin and Kelvin Benjamin and all the, the great receivers. They, we've, that's what Florida State has had. Florida State has good running backs this year. They do. Sean Corbin, uh, Sean Ward, I think they're good players. I don't see difference makers at wide receiver for that team. You know, Mackenzie Milton had a, a late pick, kind of threw a, a 50-50 ball up in the, in the air, kind of had to make a play. His receiver couldn't make a play. I haven't seen Florida State receivers make a bunch of plays this year. That's a problem. That's a major indictment of not just Norvell, but everything in Tallahassee. Um, the defensive backs did not impress me at, at all. You know, They w- didn't look very good against Notre Dame. Obviously, they got burned in the end against Jacksonville State. They got burned repeatedly against Wake Forest. Yeah. And, and for Florida State not to have good receivers and defensive backs in this state, yeah. that, is a, that is astounding. And, and that's something that's got to be fixed. And there, there's just a lot of issues with, with FSU. Um, you know, they've got Louisville this week. They need to show progress. They need to show progress. So far, the recruiting class, they've got a top 10 recruiting class, and so far it is sticking together. But you could see this team going 2-10. and 10. Oh, yeah. It, it, and are they going to sign a top 10 recruiting class going 2-10? and 10? Probably not. So, so at some point, they need to show some progress on the field, some improvements to make fans and boosters, and most importantly, recruits, think, Norvell can turn this around to buy him some more time, to buy him some more rope to have a chance to turn this around. Because the alternative is you talk about, you know, the last year of Jimbo was awful. Two years of Willie were, were, were bad. Then we're talking two or three bad years of, of, of Norvell and all the financial strains that causes and everything else. The next coach's job becomes that much harder to the point where I don't know who wants that job. I agree with you. I I think they're in dire uh, need of, of, of progress, of a win. I'm not sure what they're doing on offense. That one, some critical downs they had. Mackenzie Milton was running the football, not the guy I want to run the football with. It, it just it just looks bad right now. It all looks bad. Um, so they play Louisville. We've got uh, the USF Bulls. Well, they've got a tough one. Um, they do. You know, they get a win, but you know. Uh, not one that they're going to be able to celebrate very long. They're heading out west 
to play BYU. Worst part about that is the game starts about 10 o'clock or 10.30 Eastern. Um, does it look like USF may have found their quarterback, or do you think they're still going back and forth with uh, with that? They say they're still going back and forth, but I am definitely reading something into Timmy McLean getting the start against FAMU and to him yeah. uh, being the expected starter against BYU. It, I, I agree. You know, we'll see what happens, but yeah, that's that's what I'm 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 reading that that he's going to be the guy. Uh, we'll see how he does against BYU. I mean, maybe Cade Fortin or, or Marsh has a chance. I do think it's interesting that Jaron Williams from Miami hasn't gotten really a sniff in this um, just because I know how talented it is because I saw him play for the Canes. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like Timmy McClain's going to be the guy. And I think that probably is the right move. Um, Fortin, from what I had seen in the spring game and in practice, he looked pretty good, but it hasn't translated to the field. And when you look at where this program is right now, there's something to be said for taking some lumps and building to the future. Um, there's a risk associated with it because you don't want a quarterback uh, to get beat up and, and start seeing ghosts if you throw him in before he's ready. I don't know that McLean will necessarily be in that situation. I think probably what's best for him is getting those experience, you know, getting that experience, getting those reps um, and just, you know, getting more polished because he's a raw athlete. He just has to, to get polished and refined and, and he's got a lot of potential. So yeah, I think that's probably the right move for, for USF and where they are right now, as long as they think uh, McLean's not going to get uh, scarred from it. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That'll be a, tr- a tough trip out west, but we'll see if McLean continue- continues as his uh, play has improved some. Okay, let's go over some national games real quickly. Number 12, Notre Dame is at my wife's not as good as their ranking number 18, Wisconsin. Interesting story there. The former Badger quarterback now quarterbacking the Irish. Uh, that game's played at Soldier Field in Chicago. Do you like that game? I do like that game. Um, Notre Dame does a lot of these neutral, weird random neutral sites, that their Shamrock Series. I think they played at Yankee yeah. Stadium. Um I think they played uh, Navy in Jacksonville and like San Antonio. They, they do a lot of these weird things and, and I like them. Um, Notre Dame hasn't wowed me this season. Um, mm-hmm. they, they've got a lot of potential. Uh, you know, Kyron Williams is a really talented running back. They got the um, mayor, the, the tight end, kind of the baby Gronk type player, but they just haven't wowed me yet. Um, we'll, we'll see what they can do against a Wisconsin team that is still in that pretty good range. Um, you're right that the quarterback matchup is interesting. I was trying to think earlier today how many quarterbacks have transferred and faced their former team. I don't think Everett Golson did because he was another Notre Dame guy who, who right. ended up at Florida State. That was a that was just a weird one. Um, quick quick tangent, sorry. Um, but Everett Golson played Notre uh, was a quarterback at Notre Dame when they played Florida State in 2014. Great great game. Game day was there. Top five matchup goes down to the wire. Um, Notre Dame has a chance to win it, and there's a they call a pick play. Corey Robinson had a touchdown right. catch, uh, but they call right. a pick play. Pass interference doesn't count. Florida State 
gets the stand. Knowles win. Um, so then, what was it, a year later, Everett Golson's the, the new, you know, is, uh, joined FSU as a grad transfer quarterback. One of the first questions on media day was from my buddy Tom D'Angelo of the Palm Beach Post. Everett, was that pass interference? <laughs> and I think we, we all just cracked up, and I don't even remember what Everett Golson said. I think he played a diplomatic response, but uh, that's just kind of how these weird things happen nowadays. Uh, Jack Cohen is is the quarterback. So at, at Notre Dame, okay, Texas A&M, the, uh, the Aggies are going to play a number 16 Arkansas team that hasn't been this good since Bill Clinton was president. What's going on with the Hogs? <laughs> The Hogs have built something nice with Sam Pittman. You know, they've, uh, he was a former uh, offensive line coach at Georgia. He's built them along the lines, as you would expect. I don't know mm-hmm. that Arkansas is going to sustain this. I don't know that they are. But I think they're a situation where they've become a tough out for everybody. I mean, yeah, they, they yeah. give them credit for beating uh, the Longhorns a couple weeks ago. But sure, they just they don't have top to bottom high-end talent the way Texas A&M has kind of stacked it together. But they're they're just going to be a tough out for everybody, including A&M. And, you know, the Aggies uh, looked shaky in week two against Colorado. That Colorado team lost 30 to nothing against Minnesota last week. So I'm I'm a little skeptical right now on, on Jimbo Fisher's Aggies. You know, they had the quarterback injury. Um, I, I, I don't know. We'll see. Could be a dangerous little game for them for sure. Okay, Absolutely. finally I'll get you out. I'll get you out on this one because I'm going to be watching this. If for another reason, the sideline show will be spectacular. The Greg Shianos, the toes on the lines, Rutgers goes to Michigan and plays Jim Harbaugh. Oh, Nelly, anything can happen with these two. Uh, am I wrong that that uh, that Shiano's got Rutgers back to where you would hope that Rutgers could be? And that look, I think Michigan's running the ball really, really well. I still don't know how good they are. Uh, you are not wrong. Um absolutely has Rutgers back to look, Rutgers isn't a, a team that's you know there there's probably ten to fifteen teams in the country that should be able to win championships. Rutgers is not one of them. Um right. but Rutgers should not be as awful as they were in the post Shiano era. Um Correct. so he has gotten them back up to at least respectability. And mm-hmm. I, I don't I'm not making light of that. He has made a lot of progress there. Um, he showed that last year in his first year. They, they, took, they took Michigan to triple overtime last year and lost right. 48-42. So I'm not saying that Rutgers is going to upset Michigan. Um, Michigan, to its credit, has done everything it should do so far. I mean, it, it killed two bad teams and also Washington, who is bad also, I guess. But at least they're <laughs> right. a bigger brand. Um, right. They have done everything they're supposed to. I, I've got them, I have, I have them 13th in the country, and I could argue putting them significantly higher than that but they haven't played anybody and how about this Rutgers now qualifies as playing somebody so this is the first test Harbaugh has really had this year and if if things are going if things are going to be different in Michigan he should go out and win this one and you know based on the talent level should win handily if it's close and they're kneeling down Make sure you protect that Michigan quarterback because they're going to be firing off the ball even if the game seems like it's over. He's Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, and he covers college football for us. He will be in Gainesville to watch the Tennessee Vols take on the Florida Gators. Another beautiful day up there in um, Florida Field. I I, Look, if I'm a Gator fan, I'm pretty happy about this season, the way it's going. Uh, I think it's it's, it's exciting up there. Safe travels, that's a – 
that's a tough ride. How early were those people at the game last week, Matt? I heard I heard that people were filing in there very soon. Did you get caught in traffic at all, or? I, I did. Um, nobody wants to hear reporters complain. Uh, I do. But... I do. <laughs> well, Rick, since you asked, um, they, they moved media parking last year, um, and you know nobody went to the games last year, so it didn't matter. But this year, it's been. Uh, my, my drive-in has been a, a lot tougher, um, a lot longer, a lot more sitting in traffic. Why is nobody moving? Oh, my God, why is nobody moving? Why aren't you going? <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm probably going to have to start building an extra 30 minutes uh, on the drive. But you know what? Given last year, I will gladly do this. Yeah, um, the fans are it's, back. It's it, great. Yeah, fans are back, and the environment is back. And, yeah, they, they were getting there early uh, Last week for for Bama, and hopefully there's a good environment for Tennessee because it, it used to be a rivalry once, Rick. I know. So I know. I, I, I'm I'm old enough to remember when it was a rivalry. I was trying to explain it. I was walking the dog with with my four year old this morning. I was trying to explain why Florida Tennessee mattered because he doesn't know why Tennessee would be any good. All he knows is that they've sucked because that's all that's happened in his lifetime. Yeah. No. The Vols. Steve Spurrier loved beating Tennessee. He loved beating everybody, but he especially loved beating Tennessee. So, anyway, uh, thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. We'll check you out on TampaBay.com. Thanks, buddy. Sure. Thank you. All right. My thanks to Matt Baker. We're going to talk about the Bucks, of course, the big game in L.A. That's going to be important for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, first of all, it's the only two 2-0 teams going against each other this weekend. But more importantly than that, it's going to have maybe a lot to do with respect to home field advantage, these two teams, I think, are playoff teams, and it's Bucks' first road trip. So, I believe it's the first time the Brady's season. ever played in Los Angeles. It is. Isn't that weird? Of course, they didn't have a team for twenty years, yeah. but still, um, it just coincided with with you know they've been there for the last few, but it just coincided with the bulk of Brady's career. So he owned a house in Los Angeles at one time. Of course, he's from California. Shorter commute for his parents to come down and watch him play. Uh, SoFi Stadium, by the way, home of the Super Bowl 56, which is what the Rams are trying to do. Take a page out of the Bucks book and, and play the Super Bowl at home. Been I done think before, this is just a scouting trip for the Bucks to get prepared. That's for what I Bowl. think. That's what I think. I think it's a chance to check out the hotel, check out the field, sight lines, all of that. Yeah, pick, pick which locker away. room you want, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I think Kansas City said as much when they played here. Kansas City came in here and said, yeah, you know, it was nice to – you know, kind of, kind of hang out at Raymond James, as well. and they were right. They came back. So, who knows? Maybe the Bucks will do that as well. Hey, we got some feedback on our. Uh, we were talking about. We had a mailbag question about one of the greatest trades in Bucks history. Yeah, Les had commented about. Uh, we talked about trading for. Uh, the question was about trading for Gronkowski, and was that the best trade in Bucks history? But what about the trade for Jason Pierre-Paul? Pretty good one. I mean, they've re-signed Pierre-Paul, or or at least uh, did some things with his contract to keep him here. Yeah, I mean, Jason, you know, coming off the hand injury, uh, I, I, I want to say, I don't know, it, it, was, it was a combination of trap picks. I'm not sure exactly what they gave up. It was, it was substantial, though. Um, and he's, he's done his job. I mean, he has produced at a level, particularly with the injuries, the neck injury, missed six games. He still had eight, eight and a half sacks, something mm-hmm. like that. Let him in sacks last year at nine and a half. Um, you know, more of a... More of a team leader than I thought they thought they were getting. I mean, he's I a locker room guy. I think that's the guy. part that maybe you know makes it even more of a, a good trade. I mean, the production yeah. on the field, but what he's helped off what the field, him and Indomitian Sue, and yeah, and helped those young defensive linemen. 
Yeah, no, he's been great, and uh, I think it. And the other thing that I that I think was underestimated is how much it matters to him to play here. You know, this was the this is where he played his college ball. He's from the state of Florida. Um, I I think he he really enjoys being sort of you know his adoptive home, and uh, I I I think that was underestimated as well. So yeah, JPP is a good one. Uh, Greg um, had also tweeted us and said, "What about?" trading back into the first round to draft a future Hall of Famer, Derek Brooks. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to – now, if we expand this and we, we include the moves they made in the draft, because I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking more about players they acquired. Mm-hmm. But obviously, that's a trade too, right? And and no question that the greatest draft – one of the greatest drafts in NFL history for any team was that 95 draft when they got both Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks, two first ballot Hall of Fame players in the same round. The same round. Um, and, and Brooks at the time was an undersized linebacker. Some teams projected him to be a safety at the NFL level. They didn't see him as a linebacker. Tony Dungy obviously did. Um, or Sam Weich did. I'm sorry, not Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy put him in the right place when he got here. But Sam Weich saw him as a linebacker, and Sam and, and Rich McKay get a lot of credit for that draft. They moved down in that same draft to take Warren Sapp Warren Sapp was the best player in college football. He was going to be the number one pick, bar none. Like, there wasn't even a debate about who the best player was. But uh, right on around draft day, in fact, on draft day, Chris Mortensen uh, reported that there had been some failed um, drug tests at the Combine and, uh, and maybe at Miami. And, and he also, there was a hint of that maybe they weren't, it wasn't just marijuana or something like that, which Sapp absolutely, you know, lost his mind over because he says that that never happened. But... Um, but it, it, it hurt um, Sapp's draft status. And I remember Minnesota was – the Bucks moved down and, and acquired uh, extra picks, and they used that to go back into the first round to get Derek Brooks. So it was significant. When they moved down to 11 or 12, wherever he was taken, the team right before them were the Minnesota Vikings. And at that time, Tony Dungy was the coordinator, uh, defensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. He wanted Sapp. But that offseason, Minnesota had a bunch of off-field off incidents, including a whole bunch of DUIs. And so Denny Green was constantly battling in the press with you know, character and these players getting in trouble. And had it not been for a bunch of guys getting in trouble, I think the Vikings would have taken Sapp right ahead of the Bucks. But instead, he fell to the Bucks, And then, of course, that's a legendary draft. The other one I would say, there's been some trades like um, – you know, I think they moved back and and uh, they took Vita Vea. Uh, so, Derwin James could yeah. have been the guy they took there. So they got they traded back to get Vita Vea, which landed two second round picks. Right. They got MJ Stewart. Mm-hmm. They trade. They traded the other second round pick to move back. New England moved up, and they were able to get Carlton Davis, good and Jordan pick. Whitehead. Really good pick. Yeah. How, I mean, you know, MJ Stewart. You know, just a swing and a miss. Right. But the other two, really good. And then the one I would say most recently, a year ago, mm-hmm. um, they moved up to get Tristan Wirfs. You know, I've talked to John Lynch about this. San Francisco really liked Wirfs, and they they had their eye on him and and, and the wide receiver that they eventually took that they thought would be there later. Um, but surprisingly, the 49ers, you know, made the deal. And I think for that draft class, Tristan Wirfs might – might wind up being the best you know there was about five offensive tackles i think he might end up being the best one and they're not unhappy with that so that was a a really good acquisition all right so tomorrow again we'll preview uh, the bucks and the rams 
Uh, we'll be back out there at, at One Buck Place talking to Bruce Arians, updating any injury news we might have, whether uh, might see a cornerback come in here soon or not. Haven't heard any more about Richard Sherman, but certainly we'll get updates on all of that. So keep it right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Ray, Steve Rays are off today. Um, their second off day in 28 days, so uh, they'll get some rest. We're taping this before the game on Wednesday afternoon, so they could have clinched a playoff berth by the time you listen to this. Now, what happens if you're on your off day and you clinch a playoff berth? Do you all run to the stadium then and, and have champagne? What do you do? Um, I wouldn't. I'd just pop it right at home, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be quite the celebration. It's your second, second off day in 28 days. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the day off. Yeah, I'm not going in for anything, even yeah. if I clinch. And the Lightning have their first practice today, so. Yeah. This Pretty training crazy, camp is, uh, is in session. That's crazy. Crazy stuff. You know, we're going to have it all. We're going to college football, baseball playoffs coming aboard. I can't wait. It's the best time of the year. Hopefully we get a cold front somewhere along the line. Let me know if you're in North Florida and you see any dry air heading this way. For Steve Erstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.